everyone. Welcome to the IBCD Karen Discipleship Podcast. I'm Craig Marshall, and I'm excited to be here today with Aaron and Ellie. Uh, for those of you who have noticed, our latest observation video features them seeking help from Dr. Charles Hodges in dealing with the struggle of bipolar disorder. So we're excited to spend some time talking with them and hear a little bit about where they come from, what their experiences have been, and how they ended up being part of an IBCD observation video. So... Aaron and Ellie, glad to be with you. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since we filmed the video, and uh, it's cool to see it all done now on the other side of it, right? Um, wanted to talk with you. One of the questions that we get a lot is just, who are these people that are acting in these videos? Well, first of all, people wonder if it's acting, and, and we try and explain that. Um, on the one hand, it is because we kind of have a scenario we're working through, but a lot of times for the counselor, it's it's very much not acting because they're just responding to what's what's coming out. But I was wondering if you wanted to um, let us know a little bit about who you guys are and um, kind of your experience with bipolar disorder, and we'll just talk from there. So who wants to start? Yeah, I'll go. Um, yeah, I, I felt like, uh, when you guys had asked us to do it, it was, um, my initial reaction was, yeah, like we'd love to be a part of this. Um, I actually, a couple of years ago, I wanted to be an actor. So it was interesting. I tried starting off acting and then I realized I couldn't handle the lifestyle of an actor. So I just stopped pursuing it. I'm still doing film though. Um, but, uh, I, it was really a lot of personal stuff for us. And I think we mentioned it before. I don't know if we did, but. Um, just because my mom has um, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar type. And so um, there's a lot of stuff that was currently even happening, um, you know, even when you guys had asked us to be a part of it. So uh, it's like I, I was acting, but in a sense, I'm just, I'm not really, because it's just what's what we're experiencing, I guess, in our, not only in our marriage, but just in, in life, trying to help our mom and trying to figure out, you know, what are the best solutions and, and stuff for her. So, um, that was, that was my experience with it. How about you, Ellie? Well, um, I was really excited actually to hear about this project because I've been working in the mental health field for about nine years now. I'm a social worker. I have a master's in social work. And I originally started out my career working at a local mental health authority or local mental health, like for the county basically. And um, a lot of the people that I worked with either had depression, major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, or schizophrenia. And then um, I'd worked there for several years and had seen kind of the ins and outs and what the system really is like and the pros and the cons of all of that. And then I transitioned more into um, a crisis role. So when um, people were suicidal or homicidal, I'd go out and do assessments on them to see um, if they needed to be hospitalized involuntarily or voluntarily if they had insurance or that type of thing. Um, so that was quite an experience. And then since I moved here, since we got married, um, I've been working in mental health, but more uh, from the foster care side of things. So kids with um, a lot of trauma in their background. So right now I work um, with kids from infants all the way up I've had kids as old as 13, so that's, um, I definitely kind of have seen it and seen the repercussions of it, seen how the system works, and I've seen um, some families who have been in the church and how that 
the church really has come around them. And I've seen people just trying to do it on their own and just get stuck in this cycle and cycle and cycle. Not to say people who are in the church don't get stuck in a cycle, but yeah. <laughs> wow. And I thought that was one of the amazing things about this project. We knew with Charlie Hodges, uh, we had wanted to do a video with him and he said he wanted to do one dealing with bipolar. That's kind of the immediate question that came to mind is, how are we going to find people who can pull this off uh, and kind of have a, a realistic experience for him in the counseling scenario? And it was just amazing. Um, Ellie, you're friends with Christina Henson, who does right. lots of stuff for us uh, with IBCD. How long have you known her or what's your relationship? I can't even. It's like longer. I've known her longer now than I haven't known her. So I think we were 10 maybe, over 20 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that was amazing. So she put me in touch with you and then uh, you guys were interested in it. And I was just amazed to see how much it intersected with both of your lives. I, I wasn't aware um, of definitely of the of the details of it when we initially reached out to you, but um, Christina had kind of said both of your lives had intersected with this. And so um, I was really thankful for how willing you guys were to, to enter into this and try and um, go into that experience. What was that preparation like for you as you were thinking through what parts you would want to depict or um, how how was that process once you said yes to this idea? Yeah, um, I think it was, for me, it was like a relief because um, it felt like I could help, uh, you know, a lot of friends and a lot of other people ask me, well, what is it, what is it like? You know, what is it what exactly is the problem? Like, uh, and it's it's hard to understand. So for me, it was like, okay, cool. There's an opportunity to actually get to try and hopefully pull off like what it's what I what what we deal with in our in our family. And a lot of people, you know, even with a disorder, there's it it comes out differently and they behave differently. I mean, there's um, similar behaviors. That's how we can um, somewhat categorize it. But but like my mom, for instance, is a lot more um, anxious and a lot more she she talks really fast, or, you know, even when she's not manic. So um, for me, it was trying to pick and choose uh, the different moments just in the dialogue, like when it would come out. And then also just trying to figure out, um, you know, what is her, what is my mom's rationale or logic when we're trying to be rational and have a rational and logical discussion? Where, why is she so adamant in, in her beliefs and, and how can I, how can I honestly um, try and bring that to life. So that's what I was trying to think through and, mm -hmm. and, and hopefully trying to, trying, to, trying to bring the life there. But I think I was thinking of it maybe more from a clinical perspective, kind of having seen being on the intake side of people going into the hospital. What do they, like, what reasons do they go to the hospital for? What does a suicide episode really look like? What are common ways that people attempt suicide? What are common symptoms that people see? What are frustrations that family members deal with? And so um, those were really important, I think, for us as we like crafted the story together to make sure that we included some of those things. So we, um, in the story, there's you know, a history of hospitalizations because usually at his age, he would have at least had one hospitalization normally. Um, sometimes not, but, and then just, yeah, the symptoms and making sure that we, we tried to accurately portray what it was. I mean, tried I'm to, sure tried, tried. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I think that was also the difficult thing too, which is what, you know, portraying the symptoms with that particular stage. Cause there's, you know, 
there are so many different, um, you know, behaviors, even, you know, that my mom does that are, you can tell what, you know, okay, it's leading to this thing here, you know, and so, okay, where are we at in the story? How are we trying to craft this thing? Okay, so these are probably, probably in our situation, probably the, the, the way that she would be behaving. So. And I think one of the things we also wanted to include was um, how family members felt about it. So that I was kind of the one that yeah. was representative of that, as well as how the church community interacted with us and then the outside community. Um, because we'll probably talk about it later in the podcast, but those things, I'm sure everyone who's dealt with someone um, who has a family member who has mental illness has received a lot of different reactions from church members, from community members, and so we'll we'll talk about that more. But yeah, and I mean uh, that's that's one of the questions I had for you guys. I mean, maybe not directly down that track uh, of the church even component yet, but in particular, what are some of the as you've interacted with people struggling with this? What are some of the most significant parts of the struggle for the family members, in particular, for the individuals? What are some things that you think it's helpful for people to just be aware of that are involved in these situations. Yeah. Yeah. I think, man, just to be, I mean, if it's such a complex issue, having a mental health, a mentally ill member in the, in the family, I, I think anybody on the outside who's just, you know, looking at the situation, actually this is happening right now. Currently, it's as really we happening speak. right now. <laughs> and it's so incredibly frustrating um, because the tendency of, of our mom is to make friends real quick um, through, you know, sympathy stories and also because she's just trying to get people to help her. So she'll go through people like just so fast. So people initially will just hop on board and be like, oh, I want to help you. And then they'll listen to my mom and be like, oh, my gosh, your story is so difficult. And it is, you know, and your kids are so far there. You know, it's hard for them to do something here. Let me help you. And so then they'll start doing all these things without really understanding that we have tried so many different options and it's this has been years you know years in the process and so i I would say for anybody just hopping into a situation and being like oh let me help this individual who needs help um, to really get to know what is the family doing um, how is the family really um you know trying to take care of the situation and if if an individual really wants to help they would i would suggest that they connect with the family and say hey i want to help this is what i can do um, and to understand that once you even begin to help in this situation, it can suck so many hours. You know, if you try to even talk to our mom and, you know, she'll, um, it, it just, it, so, so just knowing how, um, you know, that the family is a lot of times, unless they're really not doing anything and there's the situations like that where it's just been completely exhausted, but, um, that the family is doing something to actually have an open communication with the family and to really try to understand what the situation is because, their reality uh, is many times a completely different reality than, than what's um, really going on, but yet they're convinced in their heads, you know, that it's happening. So yeah, I think just to expound on that, like what Aaron is saying, that um, his mom's reality is often very skewed, and so that skewed reality elicits those sympathetic stories. Right. And so people will help in the way that they think that they want to help without necessarily knowing that that's the best way to help. Um, And so a lot of times there is a family member that is a primary caretaker. So for example, in our situation, um, 
Aaron has like some legal responsibilities with like the durable power of attorney as well as like the the um, advanced what's it called the healthcare directive yes that <laughs> advanced healthcare directive um, and so people try to come in and make decisions maybe about selling something or where she should live or this or that without <laughs> talking to someone who actually has the real authority over that scenario yeah. I think including family members, and maybe not necessarily all family members, because some of them can have their, I mean, that's where it gets difficult. Some of them can have, may not necessarily be looking out for the best interest of the person with the mental illness. Yeah, um, and, they, and a lot of people try to take advantage of them. It's so easy to, you know, so yeah. So it seems like there could kind of be one of two extremes that probably aren't helpful. Sometimes in the church, it could be uh, this is different and we stay away. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there can be this naive just jumping in of, you know, just listening to the person, not checking with the family, not realizing the depth of probably what's going on. Right. And so starting to come to understand some of the complexities of this right. for sure. Yeah. It's a very complex and it takes, if for somebody to say like, oh, I want to help you, um, you know, in, in some sense, you really got to know, you know, what you're even just educate you know yourself and even just whether or not you can actually have the time to help what's really interesting i feel like with a lot of mental health um, cases is that you know my mom is convinced that she's doing a lot of what she's doing uh because she wants to help us like so her attention is on us and her attention is on you know other people and she's trying to help other people but she doesn't she fails to realize that if she really helps herself then she's helping you know the whole family so um, a lot of times too, it's it's understanding like that their intentions in their heads are they're really good intentions. It's just learning how to communicate with them and navigate through them, you know, and, and bring them back to what is just reality. Yes. What are some things that you've seen in people seeking to help, in particular, like in the church? What are what are ways the church could do better? Do you think in engaging in in struggles of this sort? Um, well, well, you already talked about the extremes, I think, okay. but I would, I would touch upon that again mm -hmm. real briefly, um, is just to not, um, minimize the mental health issue in, in the church. Um, it, I, I think it can be easily dismissed and, oh, just, just pray about it or, um, and we've been involved with, you know, numerous, uh, in our family, there's a lot of different members in our family who come from different denominations, charismatic, you know, reform, like just different denominations. And so, um, it's understanding that, you know, it's, it's, it can't be just as easy as just praying about it and not doing anything, you know. Um, sometimes it is, and maybe God, and I've heard cases too, and I've, I know people who struggle with mental, uh, who have mental health issues, and they've been healed. And uh, I knew one girl at the church I used to go to, and that's amazing. Like, the Lord completely healed her, and that's totally awesome. The majority of cases, and in my case, it hasn't happened. So, um, to, easily, to, to dismiss it so easily, I think, is it can be very harmful, especially for uh, my mom. Um, when other people tell my mom, oh, you just need to, to pray more, you just need to read the Bible more, you know, she's been told to spend, you know, up to four or six hours a day in the Word. Um, though that can be great, it's so mentally taxing and exhausting for her when she's not able to do it. Um, the burden is just multiplied because... Now, not only is she not able to think, you know, rationally, um, but then when she's not able to do something that she's told, if you just do this, you can be better, she falls way more into depression. And especially if she's not taking her medication, it can really speed up that kind of process. So 
um, I would say that, like to not uh, minimize or just to really, you know, take the time to understand and, and walk alongside family members. But I'd also say um, to um, educate themselves and to figure out who in the city and who in the local community is involved with mental health issues to actually maybe, you know, just even if some of the church leadership, if that's the direction that they would want to go to, is sitting down with them, figuring out, okay, what do you guys do? How can we help in certain situations? Um, and figuring out maybe if that's a good resource. Some of them are, some of them aren't, but if it's a good resource to send, you know, families to because they need as much help as they can get. Yeah, along that line, Ellie, especially as you're involved um, with many organizations in helping people in different ways, what are some thoughts you have of how how the church, how people can better utilize resources in helping families who struggle with this? You know, I think really, especially if um, as a biblical counselor, if you're going to have a client come into your office, whether it's a family member of someone who has the mental illness, because definitely as family members of someone... <laughs> has mental illness, I know we we could definitely benefit from that type of counseling. Um, or whether it's the, the person with the mental illness themselves, I really think that the onus and the weight of identifying those resources needs to be on that counselor. Because you may be the first touch point, you may not be, but you may be the first touch point that this family has had to kind of have a gateway in to know what those resources are. And it's really going to be different for every state, which is uh, it's a little frustrating because I wish I could say, go to this one website and it'll <laughs> it'll all be, uh, you'll find everything there. But I know in a lot of states they do have something called 211 that can be like a, a number that you dial or a website that you go to that has a lot of um, local community resources. And something that I tell the interns that I work with often um, is... When you're looking for a resource, whether it be housing or maybe some sort of social service resource or um, something to do with food, um, transportation, something like that, medical, if you start at the federal level, usually there's some sort of organization at the top, top level that's dealing with that thing. So just do a quick Google search to, to identify that primary like government hub of that and then filter it down to your local state and then your local county if there's a county version of that. Sometimes it stops at the state. But you want to try to trickle it down to the, the lowest, um, most community level type of resource that there is. And then that will really help um, you identify what's in your local area. I think it's really helpful to know what those resources are, and especially as somebody in the church to know you don't have to be um, afraid or scared to use something that people really specialize their life around these types of things, finding somebody housing, finding somebody legal resources. So utilizing them and having people within the church walk alongside um, the person with mental illness as they access these resources um, oftentimes, as a case manager in many situations, I find that it's not necessarily that the resources aren't there, because oftentimes the resources are there. It's identifying the resources and helping someone navigate their way through kind of the messy application process. Because that is really difficult often, and that, that is a big deterrent for people to access those resources. Yeah, that, that's really helpful. And I love how you mentioned the the walking alongside with it. Like it sounds like in the complexities of these struggles, there is so much that's there and available 
that we don't need to learn all those things ourselves. It's just being there for someone else, directing them there, especially as they're often in a very overwhelmed state in the midst of this, right? Yeah. Not, not really knowing where to go, what yeah. to do, uh, caught in that cycle. Yeah, even for us, I mean, I mean, Ellie, I mean, she's yeah, a social worker. She, she, she does this for work, you know, um, or she did a lot more back in Texas, but um, specifically for mental health, but... Um, we just the other day, like we had to contact, a, we found a third party resource specifically for, you know, for seniors. We asked them and we hired them for, you know, a um, specific job, but we, it was cause we couldn't, there's just so many, um, things that we don't know. And then they came back and said, Hey, this is a couple different options here for this. And there's a couple different options here for this. And we're like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like we don't have the time or just even the know-how of what even begin. So we just know that there's a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's very helpful, you know. Thanks so much for being with us for this edition of the Karen Discipleship Podcast. We look forward to being with you next time for part two of our interview with Aaron and Ellie.